Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Eric Olson, publisher and founder of Blog Critics Magazine. And what a show we have tonight. Don Olson, my lovely, charming, although sometimes cranky wife, is joining me. And we will be speaking with hot novelist Anna David about her brand new book, or almost brand new book, Bot. And Don has an excellent review of it up on Blog Critics right now. You can go check that out. Rather than trying to give the quite lengthy URL, just go to the front page of Blog Critics, and it's right there in the, in the little spotlight there at the top of the page, and click on over. And so we're very excited about that. We're waiting for Anna to call in. Also, later in the show, both Philip Wynn and Lisa McKay are away, it being it being summer and all. And so Matt Sussman, who's been filling in for Lisa and doing a great job as executive editor of Blog Critics, he'll be joining us, and we will uh, be talking about goings-on and doings and whatnot on Blog Critics itself and possibly continuing our discussion with Anna, depending on her schedule, and we'll see what's going on. For those of you who don't know who she is, she is many things besides a novelist. And actually, Dawn really is the expert, so why don't we turn it over to her to uh, give us a quick little little profile on Anna while we're, ha- we're waiting to hear from her. Well, okay. Uh, Anna actually has a great website, um, and it looks like she's, she's updated since the last interview I did with her for her first novel, which was Party Girl, I highly recommend as well. It's a very good uh, interview that we did right here on Blog Talk Radio and a great book that I read, and it's her second novel. Anna is kind of all over the map. She has written for just about every possible magazine out there. Um, I'll just list a couple, New York Times, LA Times, Vanity Fair, Playboy, Cosmo. She is a sex expert, which means that uh, she knows a lot about sex and can, and can counsel you is on Is that what that means? That is. It's not the same as sexting. It's, she's an expert at sex. But, well, but hang me... on. Do I get to interject yet? Oh, there she is. Wait a minute. <laughs> Go ahead, Anna. <laughs> Before dawn, you start regaling people with how much I know about sex. I give sex, dating, and relationship advice on G4's Attack of the Show, which... I was going to say that. Okay, okay. You weren't getting to that, and I just didn't want your listeners to get too many crazy ideas. Well, now, let me, before, now, let me redeem myself. Before we we, uh, bring Anna in, I was going to say what that means is she's a professional member of the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And wow. as you said, a sex and relationship expert. And, and if you could, t- I mean, is I that a written about test? how great you are. Is that a written test? Is I it an essay? Is, I think is, Eric's really impressed. I'm, I'm very, sitting here aghast. I see a mouth agape, even though I can't see you. I'm guessing it's agape. Um, no written test. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is I started writing 
about my dating life for Playboy magazine, whenever that was, four or five years ago. And then these stories were sort of a big deal. And, um, you know, one was optioned and made into a reality show pilot. And um, you start doing stuff like that, and people start assuming you know a lot about sex, dating, and relationships. And the truth is, I, I really do give excellent advice, you guys. Just just test me. Just ask me If, if you do say so yourself? If I do say so myself. Hey, speaking um, of Playboy, do you know my friend, uh, my old friend, Chris Napolitano? I do. He's my old friend, too. Well, there. Well, I wrote for Playboy before you wrote for Playboy. Well, aren't you special, but are I, you... Well, he's older than you are. <laughs> by a, by a few decades, out. I'm guessing. <laughs> We can pretend. I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, early 90s. I, I did a really impressive series of uh, Anonymous. <laughs> that front section, you know, whatever they call it. I can't even remember. Uh, I did a bunch of Anonymous stuff on... Uh, a likely story. How are we supposed to believe uh-huh. you, Eric? Well, talk, talk to Chris. He, he was running that section at that point. Now, now I hear he's, he's like editor of the whole... Uh, well, yeah, but they all moved to Chicago. They moved the whole thing there. I know, I know. I talked to him maybe a year ago or so and said, what's going on, how are you doing? I was actually stunned to see that he was still there, but obviously I know, for made a career of it, you know? No, but he's not anymore. I mean, they oh, actually okay. moved the whole operation over to Chicago. And he's no, he didn't make he, that move? I don't move. think he was willing to go. I don't really know. I'm, like, talking about it on the radio like I know, but that is what I heard anyway. Well, there's been a lot of changes there, yeah. as, as we know, over yeah. the last decade or so, especially, I would imagine, the last... Five years. It's uh, hey, it's a tough time for magazines, which which is actually a pretty interesting topic. But but per, but I imagine tertiary for you. I think what we really should focus focus in on. Uh, and and if you have more than a half hour, we'd love for you to stick around. Uh, you know, if you can, and we can we can get into secondary and tertiary topics. But I think probably the uh, the real uh, center of things at the moment is your. Excellent new book. Now I haven't read it all the way through simply because you know my life, my life is Mm -hmm. you know just simply too busy. But get this, Don and I drove down to Nashville a couple weeks ago for a college reunion, which was really uh, a lot of fun. And God, how how those people get so freaking old, by the way. But anyway, did you guys uh, go to college together? No, I'm I'm older than she is. No, these were my uh, roommates from my junior year of college. I hope you looked better than them. Oh, I looked I looked fabulously better than them. Nice. That's the only reason to go to a reunion. Well, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm taller, I'm thinner, I'm cooler. Nice. So, a uh, blonder. Uh, that that hair which remains. Anyway, uh, Don read significant portions of the book Allowed? in the car. Allowed. Nice. To me. I love Don. So how cool was that? <laughs> That's really I love cool. the book. I know, and your review was so nice. Um, Did you hear that, Eric? She liked my review. I saw, really I saw the, I saw the, the email about it, in fact. Yeah, because I was reading it, and I said, my God, this person really read my book carefully, which is kind of rare these days. And then afterwards, I noticed that it was Dawn that had written it. Well, Dawn it. feels very protective of you. She, she feels that. that you have... She feels you have a certain fragility that uh, is, is it's perhaps... It's true. I'm glad she can see it. I don't know why you don't. Oh, oh I, I, it's not that I don't. It's just that, you know, she, she she's more attuned. She's more empathetic I than I am, you know. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm a guy, like you said, man. Yeah. 
So, well, uh, yeah, so let's talk about the book. Yeah, yeah Don, especially, why don't you chime in there? Well, I do have some questions for Anna, being that I did read the book very carefully. And it's funny that Eric would say, you know, I feel protective of you. What I found most interesting in the book, I mean, and the book is, you know, we'll, we'll let Anna kind of describe it, but one of the things I would love to ask you about that I found the most fascinating was the relationship between, you know, Jessica and Anna, which really is the Oh, I'm sorry, Emma. Every, yeah, it's a novel. Mixing, it's a novel. It's a novel. I was mixing my, uh, well, it is based on some, you know, real-life experiences, right? Yes. I'm sorry, Emma and Jessica. And Jessica being the antagonist and, and Emma being the protagonist yes. in, this, in this case. But yes. they have sort of a frenemies kind yep. of thing going on. But ultimately, which, you know, you read my review, so you kind of know how I feel about that. But that is something I can really relate to because it seems like poor Emma is surrounded by women who are sabotaging her left and right. She's got her friend Claire, her, you know, her old girlhood friend who's, you know, getting in jabs left and right that she's not living up to her, you know, her, her friend's ideal of what she should do. She's got her mother who, as it turns out, obviously is, you know, putting a lot of pressure on her daughter because of her own you know, feelings of uh, letdown for what she well, didn't do with her life. Well, and truth about mothers. Oh, that is the to- you know, think about how much you put on your kids and how much yep. you expect out of them, living vicariously almost through them. Yep. And then you got Jessica who empowers Emma but also uses her rather, you know, yep. frivolously. So I'll let you, if you want to give like a synopsis of the book, but I think it's very timely but it's also timeless, so I just want to well, that Well, I love that. I mean, again, you brought up what's most interesting to me, which is the sort of psychological, you know, reason behind what is going on with these women. Like, more than a story about prostitution, it is the story of a relationship, and the relationship is between these two women. And so when it's about to so a journalist um, who does a story on high-class prostitutes and – Who is not you – it was not, well, you know, what this, the back story is basically I did um, this piece for Details magazine about five years ago where it was an investigative feature about high-class prostitution, and I ended up, like, really getting into this story because I, and I, you know, most magazine stories you have about a month, you gather some anecdotes, you go and you do your thing, you interview some people, and then, you know, you cobble together not a superficial story, but, you know, it's, it's usually 1,500 words, 2,000 words. And this was um, a situation where I ended up doing that and then going back to the original person I called who was like this Hollywood pimp guy, and he said, you only have, like, you've only scraped the surface. There's so much more to this story than you know. What you really need to do is you really need to be writing about this madam that everybody hates. And he gave me this woman's name, and then as soon as I had that name, like, the floodgates opened. I had people, like, calling me, you know, uh, what's it called, madams from England were calling me and wanting to talk to me, and I had detectives offering me, you know, um, information. And, you know, it was just this sort of crazy, crazy world that really opened up to me because my timing was right, because I didn't really judge anybody. You know, I really don't judge prostitution. You know, um, a lot of the, the message in the book is that what they're doing is a lot more honest than what a lot of other women are doing, which is sort of just marrying rich men or being gold diggers or being trophy wives or whatever it is. Um, there is a gray area there, isn't there? A huge gray area, and it's and it's it's so not discussed. Dawn you know? is my trophy wife. Oh, I know, and quite a trophy she is. She writes great book reviews. 
<laughs> All right, that's enough of that. So, so it is based on some real life, you know, experiences you had. Yeah, well, basically, I was that was born of frustration. I was frustrated that I had, had spent so long and learned so much, and it ended up being this sort of silly story. And so I decided, you know, I was interested in sort of that the theme of, you know, how all women sort of use their sexuality to get a lot of things. And, um, you know, and I am kind of obsessed with uh, the sort of frenemy relationship I've had in, in my life. You know, I've had a complicated relationship with my mom which is sort of what, what launches you on this path, but then like a series of very dysfunctional relationships with girls, starting from the time I was, you know, 10 years old probably. And yeah. I think that all relationships have power struggles. You know, the best relationships are obviously ones where, you know, the, the power is relatively evenly divided. But, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I, I've been both Jessica and Emma in a lot of different relationships, you know, um, relationships that were totally codependent, um, where, you know, either I was, you know, sort of having somebody live vicariously through me or they were living, you know, I was trying to live vicariously through them, where, um, where there was a lot of pressure um, and just a lot of sort of unresolved issues that are taken out on female friends. So... That's you bleed inside each other's wounds. <laughs> That's brilliant, Eric. It's so strange. That was pretty good, though. I didn't make it good. up. It's from a Melanie song. A but I had song? to remember it. Melanie. It's the 60s, man. That's how far back he goes. He's that old, really? <laughs> Eric, he's not that old, but he's old. <laughs> well, that old is relative. <laughs> I'm 50. But well, ever youthful. You found it. Thank you. Ever youthful. So, so yeah, so it's, it's um, you know, and, and I do, you know, but my relationship with my mom is complicated, and I, and I know that, um, you know, I've seen firsthand, you know, things she's disappointed by that, you know, that, that she, it influences how she talks to me about my life. And I think it, we're certainly not unique. That's you and your mother, you mean? Yeah, that's probably true for oh, every sure. mother of every daughter that exists. Well, I, it's interesting, yes. I, th- I think the, the uh, same gender um, aspect has a lot of ramifications, you know, both for, for uh, mothers and daughters and fathers and sons. And uh, it, it is interesting, the similarities and the differences there. Uh, I, I think maybe there is more, well, I was going to say there's perhaps even more complex on the female side, but I, I, of course, not being female, don't really know that. And, hey, you know, my relationship with my father is very complicated. We're, we're close. We are physically close. My office is still in their house. I've had my office in their house for 20 years because it's, it's a big house, and they had four kids, and of course we're all gone. So, um, and they live right near us. So, uh, you know, I mean, I'm physically around, and typically it's very cordial, and he's super close to all the grandchildren and whatnot. But you know, there's a lot of tension underneath the yeah. surface. You know, we've gotten mad at each other lots of times. I mean, I've gotten more mad, angry, visibly angry with him. Than, than most people on earth, you know. I mean, because I'm generally pretty low-key, although I 
as Don will tell you, I do have a pretty bad temper. But, you know, I mean, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you just see red. That seems to happen more with parents than, you know, than Well, have most you ever others. heard that expression, the button creators are, you know, the best ones at pushing the button? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's really true. Um, but, you know, I'm a firm believer in sort of Freudian philosophy, you know, that like everything important happens between the ages of zero and seven. That is how we are formed. And, you know, our parents have everything to do with how we're going to behave um, and what our, the rest of our relationships are going to be like. And, you know, a lot of parents don't really know what they're doing. So there's a lot to, you know, there's a lot that I think I know I did very dysfunctionally because I was just mimicking what I would learned in my family. And it took sort of realizing that this wasn't healthy and realizing that this didn't make me happy and realizing that this wasn't like a, you know, fruitful relationship that, um, you know, that caused me to sort of change how I was. So, Were there expectation issues? Uh, I, I think for me personally, some of the lingering results of early childhood are some some pretty unrealistic expectations on yeah. on, on what I am to achieve and what I am to be. And it, it's weird. My life, um, the arc of my life is I was a very early achiever and then a pretty much a real slacker and now I'm kind of a a later achiever again so it's uh, I kind of had to overcome a lot of things in my you know mid uh, my late early adulthood 20s and 30s and and even 40s I guess Uh, you know I I had to overcome some things uh, until I was really I think ready to kind of be myself again Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think, think about Eric. Um, so fascinating to learn about you, Eric. You know, I um, but I I think that um, you know that that's a huge issue in in the book is you know that the parents um do have these certain expectations um that you know mostly it's about like the kind of man that Emma should be with and um you know and you know I rewrote the book a lot. And in earlier incarnations, they had lots of, like, you should be going to business school and you should be doing this. And um, it's almost like in the, 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 the version that got published, it was like sort of like they, they, you know, just sort of have these worldly ambitions for her, but they've almost given up on trying to convince her. Um, yeah. You know, but well, they have a very distant relationship. Yeah. And, you know, and they firmly believe that, like, you know, if she's single, she's not, you know, she's not complete, which is something that, you know, I'm always preaching is just not the case. There are too many people telling people that, and then there are too many people that are therefore in really unhappy relationships as a result of believing that. Hey, let me interject here for a second, and let's let everyone know that we're speaking with Anna David, in particular about her superior new novel called Bot, and we encourage everyone to check out her website at www.annadavid.com, and you can see what she's done on the book front, the television front, the blog front, and in publications. That is an excellent website. It's very well put together. Oh, thank you. It's completely being revised right now. It's going to be even more fabulous. Oh, I, I believe it. I have not a moment of doubt or hesitation. Also, we encourage people to give us a call if you have a question for Anna at 646 646- Five nine five three one nine five. That's six four six five nine five 
3195. I have a question about writing. I, I've still, uh, I've written kind of, you know, a little bit of everything myself, and uh, I do have a uh, fictionalized account of my DJ career, uh, but that's unpublished. So everything I've ever published thus far is, is, is more or less nonfiction. So I'm very interested, though, in, that, in the relationship between um, you know, the real-life events and the information that you've, you've clearly, the research that you've done, uh, you know, that's clearly nonfiction, and then how you've worked that in, how you've chosen to work that in to a fictional framework. Well, you know, I am not great at, um, you know, writing about things that I don't know anything about. You know, I thus far haven't done a lot of research for books. Um, you know, I, I've sort of taken just what I've known. My first book was completely, really pretty much autobiographical. Um, you know, I'd have to throw in some scenes, uh, you know, every now and then because, you know, to make the appropriate transitions or just to make it, you know, to heighten something or to play something down. Um, so, um, you know, it was really, it was, you know, honestly, writing bot was a, a huge struggle because it really was all fiction with just the littlest bit of reality back there, which is that I, yes, I used to be a party reporter and stand on press lines and interview celebrities. And yes, I did a story on high-class prostitution, but the story was nothing like the story that the reporter does in the book. And, um, you know, and, and everything else, you know, sure, I, I, like I said, I, you know, I took dysfunctional relationships I had and, and all of that. But, you know, the family isn't my family, um, and the characters are completely made up. You know, people from L.A. are, are always, always like, oh, yeah, so Jessica, you know, how, how do I find the real Jessica? And, you know, they don't understand that she really is a figment of my imagination. And, and Emma is not me. You know, the, the character in Party Girl is a lot more like me. And what was funny is I had um, started writing Bot right when I sold Party Girl. When I first sold Party Girl to HarperCollins, there was some concern that she wasn't that likable a character, which is kind of hilarious. She was me. And I I, um, thought, God, I I really want to do something different. You know, I'm not somebody who wants to do the same book twice. So I really wanted, I worked so hard to make this character not like me. And when I finished the first draft, she was totally boring. She was nice. And she didn't really have personality. And so then I spent the next two years sort of rewriting her and changing her. And, you know, she ended up being a little bit more like me, but she's not me. Well, certainly. Uh, I'm interested, I guess, maybe more specifically, uh, especially after what you just said, what actual mechanism did you use or do you use in order to uh, bring your imagination to bear on on this story? Did you have the story first? Uh, I mean, did you have a kind of a basic story arc in your mind first, or did you just kind of, or, or did it unfold as you went? You know, I, I those both my first two books, I, I did an unfolding as it went, um, and and like for Party Girl, it worked really well. Like I honestly believe the right story just came to me, um, 
and like I said, with Bot, I did a lot of rewriting um, and, and changing around. And I sort of, after that struggle, I decided for my third novel, I, I have about half of it written, and the other half is such a detailed outline that literally, it's like Hitchcock used to say about screenplays. He'd say, you know, you work on the screenplay and you write the screenplay, and then at the very last minute you go in and you add the dialogue. And that's sort of almost the state it's in. Like, that's how detailed the outline is. Because, you know, I'm you know, learning a little bit as I go, and I think that you know it makes a lot of sense to have exact you know to have the beginning and know where your story's going, and not let it be this sort of like hmm, it's just going to sort of come to me. Do you visualize these image these scenes? Do you picture them in your mind and then describe that? Because that's how I've done the the fictionalizing or you know the 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 fiction that i have done or fictionalization i guess is is i picture i have a pretty vivid picture in my mind and then i just try to describe that with words but i have no idea if that how normal that is that seems pretty normal i mean i i guess so i mean what i do is i i i have to, like the, i do my thinking if i get a massage I'll go in with a sort of, you know, a scene I know that who's in it, and I know kind of where it needs to go, and then something about sort of relaxing and getting into this semi-conscious state allows my imagination to sort of just, like, unleash stuff, and then, and, and so I'll come up with sort of general ideas or a couple lines, and then I basically, you know, come out of the massage, to, you know, write them down really quickly, and then go and flesh out a scene later. Yeah, because, man, there's nothing much more frustrating than forgetting your great idea, you know. I know. I know. It's true. Um, uh, so, Don, uh, I've been uh, uh, interjecting as as is my want. Why don't you um, sort of uh, take the mantle once again, please, dear? Well, well, thank you. I, I was quietly, patiently waiting my turn, which I rarely do. But, you know, what I love about Anna's, Stories, you know, both both novels, and you know, obviously, Party Girl being more somewhat autobiograph or biographical, as it were. Um, you, it's funny that you would mention that they kind of turned the book away initially because her character was unlikable. But I think that this is Party Girl that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think what makes that such a good story, though, is it's a cautionary tale of how your the addictions can truly turn your entire personality around. I mean, you personally are very likable. When when any time I've ever, you know, shown anybody the book, for example, one of the editors who edited my review said, Hey, I switched the pictures out because I'd rather look at Anna's picture than the picture of the book I said, I know, she's a babe, isn't she? And that's you know, so on top of being this very, you know, sort of gregarious, friendly personality who is not at all, you know, like a lot of writers who can just be sort of, you know, not fun to talk to. Introspective. Yes, you are beautiful and outgoing and you have a lot of these personality traits that people would like. Well, thank you, Dawn. Well, it's all very true. But you, you know, your character in Party Girl really was unlikable. But well, that's what she, drugs can do a person. Well, no, it's, I actually believe the opposite. I believe, so I'm glad you said it, because it's, it's, I think it's an important point. I think that, you know, you're, you know, you're born with alcohol, either you're born with alcoholism or you get alcoholism based on, you know, your circumstances. And to me, alcoholism 
isn't so much about how much you drink and how many drugs you do and what they are. It's more about sort of um, a state of mind that's incredibly self-obsessed and incredibly negative. You know, it's sort of described as, you know, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. I'm the piece of crap in the center of the universe. And, you know, the thinking behind it is that, you know, literally that that's, that's how alcohol, it's how, you know, sometimes it's just humanism sort of multiplied exponentially, but it's like that's how an, a typical alcoholic thinks. And the, and the reasoning is that to be in that head, to think that way all the time is so it's so depressing, it's so awful that you need an escape and you turn to alcohol and you turn to drugs and it works. It works as a great escape for five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is, and then it stops working. And the reason that, you know, a sort of spiritual solution helps is, is you know, alcohol has been your solution to having a brain that's like that. And, you know, then if you take that away, then you need something else. Um, so that character, you know, she's, what was, it was such a fun character to write because she's entirely self-obsessed and she has no idea that that's her problem. And, you know, in a way, you know, I was sort of, you know, you know, having fun with who I used to be and and a a lot of times who I still am. You know, I'm not, you know, I didn't, you know, get a brain transfusion. I'm, you know, still the same person. I just have more tools now. Well, that's true, and and I'd say, obviously, you came out on the, the positive end of things and with a new and great perspective, and that is absolutely, for, for anybody who's interested in understanding the, the, the psychological mechanisms that go into going from being addicted to rehab to coming out on the other side, your, your first book, Party Girl, is a really good analysis of that, and that's why, at the end of my review, I wanted to recommend that. And, and, and let people know that about now regarding bots. I do have a couple questions. What that just you talked about the power play between women using their sexuality to kind of get what they want, and men being willing to do that because they're essentially, as you said, paying for the women to go away. Which I thought is just you know, and, and I see here that that's sort of a um, Charlie Sheen sort of uh, coined that allegedly. I know. Yeah, allegedly. no, I didn't come up with the phrase. But but the the idea of it is it, it struck me it's so ultimately true. I was thinking back to my you know before I got married and the the former relationships I was in and and just how and, and you know your your character Emma talks about the you know this guy she's dating this agent you know she she falls head over heels for him he's all into her and suddenly drops her like you know hotcakes as soon as they have sex as though that were somehow the ultimate prize, and that's all women have to offer. And once a guy gets it, he's just not interested anymore. And that is so very true. And why do you think that those dynamics exist, and which then creates the situation where there are prostitutes, and, you know, high-end or otherwise, can exist because men just want that gratification because they sometimes think that that's all women are good for. Well, I don't know if it's, you know, if it's sort of men and them having not all issues. Not sex. Well, certainly not all men. Or if it's just, you know, sort of kind of what I was going back to you about, you know, the way we were raised and sort of ineffective parenting and growing up with a lot of sort of fears, you know, it's a cliche, but like fears of intimacy and um, trouble sort of reconciling sex and love and, you know, and having, you know, the, all the person you want being the person you love. Um, and, you know, I think that, I, you know, 
you know, certainly not all men, you know, lose interest in women as soon as they have sex with them. But I, I certainly seen the dynamic enough to know that it, you know, it, it is true. And I think it's just, you know, some of it is just like, just basic, simplistic, you know, sort of adolescent, you know, I want what's just out of my reach, you know, and now that I have it, I take it for granted. I don't want it anymore. Um, May I interject? Yes. I think an element of that dynamic is also that that very uh, primal, primordial experience um, is, is at some level also kind of a test of the relationship, mm-hmm. and so I think that first uh, sexual experience either you know tends to catapult you closer and deeper, or or push you away. Yeah, so, I, yeah. So that that's all. I think yeah, and I think that uh, it is true that it is a test that uh, that a lot of men are are you know. Uh, but I think we do that as as humans, you know. You know, it's, they'll they'll put let's they'll put try pressure this out. and then blame you for for succumbing to their pressure, sort of a thing. Um, but again, this is not all men, and this is um, that is a know. great point. What you just said, actually, that's about the best I've heard that put. That because I've kind of had that lingering in the back of my mind too. That's that's a really good point. It's kind of like. I'm going to push you. I'm going to quote unquote seduce you. I'm going to, you know, do everything I possibly can, but you're not supposed to give in. Yeah. So how twisted is that? Yeah, I'll respect you more if you don't. Um but again, I think it's a real adolescent sort of way of approaching it. It's not exactly, you know, obviously when we're talking and if you really like somebody, None of this matters, really. Um, you know, we're just talking about the, sort of the most sort of shallow interactions. But you know, a, you know, a lot of times that's how these things are. Wait, you guys, I just glanced at the clock. It's six thirty. I have to be somewhere. Oh no! You mean you're not I have somewhere? One question before you go, and it's yeah. about the book. Will the book uh, ever be turned into a movie? You know. Uh, I, I, you never know with these things. Party Girl was, you know, uh, we had three offers, and um, and then I, I, I just sort of went to whoever offered the most, and then they didn't end up doing anything. The bot has not actually gone out to producers yet. It's not the greatest time, so I'm sort of holding off on that a little bit until, um, you know, until times improve a little bit. But, you know, I, certainly people tell me they think it could be a movie. I'm still holding out for the Party Girl movie. I think that one's a little more cinematic. I agree. Either one would make great movies, but I agree that one would probably be more compelling. Certainly, uh, as a you know emotional sort of tale. It's just, well, we yeah, don't want to keep you any longer. I'm well, you guys, sorry. You're, you're a lovely couple. No, I had just, I, you know, I just basically have to be somewhere by seven. Um, so, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so on. much. Thanks for the book. Keep us informed of uh, your your goings on, and we're I'm always happy to keep track of you and uh, follow you and Twitter you or whatever I have to do. Okay, um, well, what's your Twitter, Don? Uh, Glosslip. I am Twitter Glosslip, and Eric is Twitter. Uh, what are you? Is it BC? No, Blog Critic. She found, found we found it. each other, dear. Yeah, we found each other on Twitter. Oh, Don't did you? Tell okay, us, good. Um, okay, you guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Take Anna. Care, Anna. Take care. Good Bye-bye. luck. Bye. Matt, are you there? 
I am. I am here. All right. Well, that's a tough act to follow, but uh, we are we are pleased as punch to be joined by Matt Sussman, who is our sports editor, and also right now he is our acting executive editor. Holy cow! I don't think anyone has ever had that title before, other than the vaunted Lisa McKay. So you know you're you're walking in some big shoes there, guy. And on top of that, I'm just going to say that right now. Uh, my my Lisa McKay impression is horrible. Is, is it not among your best? The voice the voice just can't pull it off. I can't I can't pull off the feminine voice as much as the next person. So you're just going to have to get me. Well, that's that's a okay. So did you hear any of the uh, Anna David interview? She was very interesting and lively. You know, I caught I caught a little bit at the end. I had some other uh, work. Boy, you know you you work the executive editor to the bone. I'll tell you, I was working up until about. 625. So I, I didn't get a chance to see. Him. I, I caught the last five minutes uh, of her interview, but it was it was rather engaging what I heard. Well, surely the two most thankless and endless, literally endless jobs at Blog Critics are executive editor, and and uh, what Anna does, <laughs> the uh, the review material. I can't even think what exactly what her title is. She is an editor, but she's also our review material. Director, person, guru, or Jedi, or something. And man, those two jobs never end because you know there's always more stories to get out there. You know, it's that's pretty much uh, Mm -hmm. an endless chain, uh, or at least we hope it is. And uh, there's an even higher volume of review items going out. And the fact that she has corralled it uh, as as well as she had and keeps up with it and, and keeps it all in writing with our, our review material database. I mean, it really is. It is remarkable because I mean, you, could, you could pretty easily visualize, you know, three people doing what she does, but she does it all herself and still yeah. writes some yeah. and still edits and stays up on everything. And she's a full-time librarian. We talked with uh, Anna last week. She called in. So that was fun. Excellent. I hadn't talked to her in a Excellent. while. Mm-hmm. So, from yeah. your uh, Don, are you still there? I am still here. Do you, do you want me to stay? If you would like, sure, of course. If you don't, if you don't mind the smell. Uh, for you, Sus, I will put up with it. <laughs> Only because I'm, I'm in I'm in Michigan. I'm far away enough for the smell. Just hold your nose. I will hold my nose. I, it's about all I can do. I am in so much pain these days. So, holding my nose, I can handle. Fair enough. She's got back issues. Way too young for such nonsense. Oh no! Oh no! Thirty-nine. She's got pretty severe lower back issues. What, Don? That was not my issues. My my issue was I took up a new uh, exercise program, and well, I don't know, Sus. Do you? I, I know you write about sports, but have you ever engaged in sports and and had that <laughs> onset? What do they call? It? There's something. There's a term for it. It's delayed onset of muscle something. You know, when you get those, after you've worked a muscle really hard and it just, it aches, you feel like everything's on fire and you're going to kill somebody. Yeah, that's that's, what, that's just kind of simple muscle strain. You're, you're, you're doing something you haven't done before. You're using the muscles in a way that you haven't used them for a while. And the older you get, uh, the stronger the reaction, you know, to to using the muscles in a in a different way. I would say you will recover pretty quickly. You know, it takes a few times of of doing whatever that new activity is, and then your muscles become 
accustomed to it. But, you know, uh, other than the total debilitation aspect, you should be happy to have had that kind of reaction, that, that you know that you've done, you're doing something that phew, you, are, you are stunning those muscles. Yeah. In the meantime, I'm in vast pain. I'm very crabby. But I will hold my nose, and, and I will uh, listen in and peep it, chirp up when you need me to. So, so carry on, gentlemen. And, and where is Anna? We miss Anna. I, I missed where I had to step out for a moment. Is she on vacation? Anna Creech? Yes. No, she was, here, she was on last week. Oh, okay. Yeah, she called in, and we were talking about... She's she's a besides everything else we just said she's she's pretty she's pretty tech savvy and she knows gadgets as well as everything computer related and and she's uh, a bomb and the internet and uh, she and Lisa and Philip were specifically talking about uh, about iPhones and what's going on with them and then as it relates to the Kindle and of course she being a librarian uh, has a an even deeper perspective on that, and they were talking about ebooks and 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 all that kind of good stuff, and all of those things sort of sort of uh, dovetailed together. But yeah, it was it was very interesting, and it was certainly nice to to hear her voice for the first time in quite a while. So Matt, um, from your peculiarly your specifically um, grand perspective as as a Acting executive editor, what uh, do you think is of particular interest? Uh, either individual stories or trends. What what have you noticed from your time here that kind of uh, stands out uh, of for this last over this last week or so, less than a week still, I guess. But uh, uh, you know, just sort of any uh, observations uh, regarding either well any of those things, including including the job itself. Well, you know, I, well, with the job itself, you know, I was going from, uh, you know, the sports section is uh, one of the smaller ones on Blog Critics. It gets about maybe 10 articles a week, and I'm going through more than that each day. Uh, mostly, of, most of those are reviews of, of, of TV shows, DVDs, movies, music, and books, which is probably, what, 75% of the content on Blog Critics, all the reviews, the latest movies, DVDs just coming out, and a, and a lot of really good writers are even just going back in time and and finding movies from the 70s that are so bad, and and and, and but just you know are they, they a, are they new to DVD? Is that the impetus? They could be they could be new to DVD. Yeah, that right. could be a part of it. Um, you know, I and one of the I would say. Uh, one of the more entertaining writers is and he's he's relatively new i guess in in terms of the um you know the whole history of blog critics but um uh luigi uh bastardo the uh <laughs> if you know that guy love that name um, it's a it's a great name actually you know what there's a, you know it it, it isn't it isn't alias but there actually is it and this goes back to sports there actually is a picture for the philadelphia phillies with the actual last name of bastardo is there really? Um, there is. I'm trying to think is of. It, uh, is it Latin or Italian? Yeah, it's. Um, he is. He's. He's Latin. Yeah, Antonio Bastardo. Uh, he pitches for the Philadelphia Phillies. It's a. Um, he just. He just got called up, and yeah, everyone's kind of giggling over the name. I but anyways, imagine. going. 
going back to our bastardo, he had he, he he really he puts out a bunch of reviews and 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 they're really entertaining. I mean, he does he does movies that I would personally never watch myself, and that there's there's a lot of bad uh, action movies, maybe even a little bit of horror movies, um, some even some like. Oh God! I'm trying to think what one of them was like erotica films almost, where there is exploitation. Yeah, it's sort of yeah, like that. But you know, having not being interested in watching any of those, it is entertaining to read his reviews. Um, One of the lines that is uh, featured on on the BC Video page, um, he reviewed uh, The Cell Two, which is a uh, movie that was. A sequel from uh, Jennifer Lopez was in the originals about nine years ago, and uh, this one looks like it went either straight to DVD or, or <laughs> almost as quickly. Um, he had a line, and um, it was uh, the uh, the main character was abducted and tortured by a serial killer. I'm quoting the review right now: a deranged loon who enjoys killing his victims and then bringing them back to life over and over. And in parentheses. If you're wondering what that must be like, you'll be pleased to know that the viewer experiences the exact same feeling by watching the film. <laughs> it, 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 so. The viewer experiences a synecdoche. <laughs> so, I love that word. There's a lot of great words out there, and if I find one in, I like to. If I wish I had, you know, just a, like a pile of quarters right next to me, and if I find a, a, a great usage of a word, I want I want to throw them a quarter just because, you know, we've got 50 cent words all over the place. Well, they should actually mean something, and especially with inflation these days, they should they should actually get their money's worth with those with those words. So I, I always appreciate so. I always appreciate like good diction. Me too. I do too. I, I like. Uh, I, I can absolutely relate. I, I don't think I would be interested in watching any of those movies either. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not that big a fan of of um, bad movies for bad movies' sake. Like a lot of people are. I've never understood that. Like if it's bad, it's bad. It's not so bad. It's good. It's so bad. It's even more bad. Well, There's so bad much- it's bad. I think, and this sort of goes to the Mystery Science Theater 3000, sort of the just watching a movie and it, it kind of harkens back to you don't know what you're getting and then once you realize it's bad you make the most of it lemons out of lemonade or lemonade out of lemons or sure. whatever you want to do with lemons what I, was, but, what I was going to say before I interrupted myself which is not unusual is that I agree with you very <laughs> much that I would I'd much rather read someone who writes cleverly about something like that you know uh, something that I'm not particularly interested in the the product the object whatever it may be uh, but I am interested in the writing that is derived from it especially if it's clever and interesting and fun and um, you know a lot of writing about bad art is is some of the most you know fun and interesting criticism that's out there and of course I'm using art in the in the broadest sense uh, artifacts of popular culture or something like that would be more precise i suppose but uh yeah i mean that's it's it's a lot of fun and and someone who we haven't seen a whole lot of although he did reappear briefly like whoa the duke is back and then he was gone again uh oh, yeah kind of like what duke demondo used to do you know it was and um i actually I, I remember i had the pleasure of meeting him one time back in my old job when i got to travel 
I actually got to make my way to Northern Ireland, and I shared lunch with him. And he is just as as hilarious as he looks in in web print. So I think he did come back uh, when the redesign happens, um, and and that's sort of the way it is. Some of those guys we love always come back every once in a while. Because, so. you know, they're busy. they got stuff going on. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah we always appreciate it when they – when they check back in and and uh, renew mm-hmm. the acquaintances, but you know that's one of the things about blog critics. I, I I'm really not offended when people you know quote unquote graduate because I mean I'm well aware there's only so many hours in the day. There's only mm-hmm. so much you know there's only so many words uh, and and ideas and stories at, at a person's disposal. And I view it as absolutely a a uh, a victory. You know if someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, is able to to uh, you know utilize the exposure. I mean, it's kind of exactly what we're supposed to be about. You know, besides the well, reading experience itself, of course. But from the writer's standpoint, yeah. we're there for that. Here is the here is the sports equivalent of blog critics, and I've always thought it's just like college athletics. Big one, you don't pay either one. You, we don't pay the writers. We give them lots of incentives, and same with college athletics. They don't get paid. But look at the exposure they're getting. Look at the, in a way, the practice they're getting. But it's professional practice. I mean, they can't go out there and be bad. And the same goes with with blog critics. And it, it there's you know there is a high turnover like there is in, in college athletics. You know, although you know the exception is occasionally you'll get the guy like me that just will not leave. <laughs> Chris Beaumont. Chris Chris Beaumont. Chris has been um, around. He's he's been uh, yeah. No, that's an excellent analogy. Actually, I like that very much. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and it's not. And, and when we say pay, you know, we do mean literally cash money. because there are plenty of tangible, um, you know, benefits to it. And same in college sports. I mean, cer- certainly at the big schools and the big time sports. I mean, they're getting everything but cash. And of course, we know there's even cash under the table going on, or at least the past that's been going on. But uh, but they're getting a lot of other tangible benefits, including having you know their school paid for, which is a pretty big deal. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's a great analogy. I, w- I would hope that we could live up to that, um, uh, live up to what the, the top college athletes get out of their um, collegiate experience. And hopefully they're getting an education, too. You know, that... Uh, I'm always glad when when the tide swings back to, hey, you know these guys, you know, sure they're essentially in the minor leagues here. You know, the the, the minor leagues of football is is uh, is is big time. You know, Division One uh, NCAA, uh, and and yeah. to a slightly lesser extent, so is so it is for basketball too. For, certainly for basketball and football, uh, you know, big time college is basically their their minor leagues. I've always wondered. I, it's 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 interesting. I, I guess what it comes down to the difference between those two and baseball, which does have such a specific tiered structure. It's less so now because more more over over the years, more people have been sticking with have gone to college instead of going to the minors after high school, and mm-hmm. and big time college baseball. Uh, has become. They say it's it's you know perhaps the equivalent of double A. Uh, you hear that a fair amount. Um, probably at its best, I would guess, it's the equivalent of double A. But uh, but still, you have that 
very different structural situation, you know, where the baseball teams have to pay for all. They got to, you know, the major league teams own uh, or at least are affiliated and support financially uh, their their minor league farm system, and and football and basketball don't have to do that. Yeah. Now, now actually, basketball does have a what's called a developmental league called the NBDL. Uh, some of the teams are tenuously affiliated with NBA teams, but there's about and this is a this is a ballpark. I want to say there's about 10 to 12 teams in the D League, as it's as it's nicknamed, which is which pales in comparison to, like you said, baseball, which with each of the 30 major teams has about six or seven um, smaller teams affiliated, and a lot of that has to. And it's really interesting because um, you know every other the 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 hockey draft, the basketball draft, and the football draft all happen during the off season. The baseball draft happened. I think last week. Yeah, in the middle was, of the right. season, which which really um, sort of makes it difficult for teams to sort of gauge how their prospects do. One 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 reason is a lot of the team the guys they draft, you're not going to see them in the pros until probably three years. Um, so in the majors, you mean? To, in the majors, yeah, it's, yeah. it's really tough to say, oh, we got no, we got the number one pick. We're not going to see him for a while. Well, for the number one pick, you might actually see him that year or the next year. But most of the guys you get, it's 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 a largely a um, sort of a procedural draft, and there's not a lot of excitement, and it's not much of a TV opportunity as the other ones where you get a guy like the Browns get the draft. Oh, we got Brady Quinn, and right. we got Joe Thomas. You and expect so immediate in basketball and in football. You expect you know pretty yeah. much immediate impact. Whereas, like you say, with baseball, you know, if you make it in three years, especially out of high school, that's pretty great. You know, I mean, if you mm-hmm. make, if, if you don't, if you, if it takes you three years out of college, you could be 25, and that's already pretty old. Um, you know, to be to be a rookie. I, just going back to my my Bill James, who I actually haven't read in years and years and years now, but I used to be a pretty big fanatic of. You know, he said 25 is really the dividing line. If if you're not up and and functioning and and pretty much starring by 25, you probably won't. You know. Uh, well, I mean, that that's kind of old thinking. I mean, there's a lot of of guys that you know try to make it in and and finally get their chance, and they don't get it until you know maybe they're in their late 20s or they're you know 30s and there's a there's a lot of good examples out there but they typically reason, won't become superstars is is the point there it's not that they can't function they can't perform they can't fill a role but you you know they typically won't be blossom into superstars if if they aren't well on their way by well, you just say mid 20s i mean that yeah, seems to hold reasonably well it's fair to say so that's yeah that's that's one of the differences you know, but but I, there's also some interesting parallels I think between uh, uh, pitchers in baseball and quarterbacks because those two positions do tend to develop, uh, take longer typically anyway to develop. Uh, not that you don't have people coming, you know, phenoms coming right out. Uh, yeah, with with both positions, I think it's a question of you know maximum physical. Ability, which which may be there in in their early twenties, versus mm-hmm. versus the seasoning and the wisdom and you know the knowledge of uh, you know how to pitch on the one hand and and uh, you know how to read defenses and 
blah, 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 and motivate your team, blah, 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 on the quarterback side. Uh, I've always found that parallel quite interesting. And those positions do tend to take a little bit longer, uh, typically, to develop. You know, I don't know if pitchers really have a great parallel. Quarterback it does sort of make sense. There's really no other sport in which you've got a guy that only pitches in 20% of the team's games. The quarterback goes every day, and, you know, the point guard in basketball is every day. The goalie maybe every other day to get a day off. Um, I think the more – and I, I think this, you know, the, the conventional logic is starting to come this way. The catcher may be more important than the pitcher. Well, that's a good point. Sure, from a, from a val- most valuable player standpoint, I'd say there's no question. If you have a oh. if you have a catcher who is both a, I, I mean, what position has so many different, completely separate demands upon it? A, you got to be able to call the game. You you are the one giving the signals. B, mm-hmm. you got to be able to physically catch the freaking ball. That's not easy, you know, and do it with all that equipment on. C, you got to be able to throw hard, accurately, yep. and 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 uh, and know you know when to throw, and and then and then that's all just on the defensive side. Then you're expected to be an offensive player as well. And you got to hit. You got to you got to be a good base runner if you're not fast because you're probably not fast. And that's why a lot of catchers turn out to be great managers. You know, Joe Torre, for example. Uh, Jim Leland was never a great player, but when he was in the minor leagues, he was a catcher. Uh, Mike Sosha was a catcher. Eric Wedge. Um, Eric Wedge was a catcher. Well, bad example. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say managers. We won't qualify. Yes, yes managers. Most of the, most, but most of them are. Um, so you, know, you get a you get a great pitcher as a uh, manager. How does how does he relate to someone? You know, how, how how does he tell someone how to hit? Because he never hits. Well, that's so, the joke, the, the cliche, uh, you know, about Ted Williams. He was not a great manager because he just said, well, just do what I would do, man. Get up there and hit a three-run home run. <laughs> Come on, hit the home run, dude. I don't, I don't know if you remember. This is, this is 80s and 90s. There was a pitcher named Charlie Huff. He was an old knuckleball pitcher. Sure. Who had a great line saying, I hear that mediocre players make, make uh, great managers. I'm going to have a great career after I retire. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Did he ever become? I don't remember him being a manager. I don't know if he did, but uh, you know, th- there's a lot of, of people like that, that. Think about uh, this too. What it tells you about catchers is there's a fair number. I don't actually I don't know what the percentage is. Maybe you know better than I do. There's a fair number of pitching coaches who were catchers. So you no, know, think I don't, about that. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. Um, being true, I can't really think. The only pitch, I mean, I, I can think of pitchers, uh, pitching coaches that were pitchers, but I can't think of any catchers that turned out that way. Well, Dave Duncan's uh, the best known from okay. uh, from the Oakland A's, and uh, you know he was with uh, um, Larusa for years, and I, I think he went with him over to the Cardinals too, and uh, uh, he's probably the best known and most. Enduring, but but there there are others, and they're not coming immediately to my mind either. But uh, you know, think how, how interesting that is, though, because so much of pitching is mechanics, and yet uh, you know, so obviously you, you would think that that position would favor uh, a pitcher, just like a hitting coach would favor a hitter. But think how much you have to know, and how aware you have yeah. to be, how observant you have to be, uh, in order to be a pitching coach. 
having been a catcher. I mean, it just shows you how well-rounded and how what an important. Plus, uh, plus you are running the whole show on the field. You 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 are the quarterback. That that it's a very good analogy. You're you are the quarterback of the defense uh, as the catcher. Mm-hmm. There because, are four. There are four captains. I think every team in in hockey gets a captain. A lot of captains in football. In baseball, it's optional. And there's only four teams that have designated captains that actually have a C on their jersey. One of them is Derek Jeter, which he plays shortstop. Shortstop is the it's the classic alpha male position in high school. The you know if you weren't the pitcher, you were the shortstop. It's most the athletic. Very athletic, you know, get all the babes, and that's what Derek Jeter does. Um, <laughs> two other ones, which um, kind He's of is bad out, are, yeah, are uh, Paul Canerico of the White Sox and Carlos Pena of the Rays, which are first basemen, but they're kind of the, you know, veteran, cleanup hitter kind of guy. And the fourth one is with the Boston Red Sox, and that's Jason Veritek, who of all the – of catcher of all the most important players you had for the Red Sox and those championship teams with Manny Ramirez, uh, David Ortiz, um, you know all the pitchers like Schilling and Pedro Martinez. Jason Veritek was the guy that pretty much brought the whole thing together. And uh, even though he came back and he's, he's 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 nothing what he was before. He's a he's a miserable hitter this year. But they brought him back because you know he's the captain. He knows how to. How to get a team together? He with with to keep continuity from from uh, y- uh, young pitchers. Uh, so yeah, it really is so, so one of the more important uh, positions. And and I cinematically, think. think of the example uh, in in Bull Durham. Um, yeah. You know your 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 Crash uh, Davis. Your, right, your star was was a catcher, and and he certainly mm-hmm. fulfilled that role. You know he was. He he was the guy who kind of held everything together, and uh, you know was was uh, his. But at the end of his career, uh, which he was in the film, you know his primary role was to usher along the Phenoms, you know the Nukelaluches, mm-hmm. yeah, show them the ropes and get them up to the majors, prepare them for the majors, or in major league. And we'll just Tom Berenger, right? I can't think of his name in the uh, in the point. movie, but yeah, he. He was he was struggling. He was a veteran that uh, they just kind of kept around, and you know you got to get the Charlie Sheen character in gear. Right, exactly. Good point. Well, hey, we've already blown through a half hour. Good for us. That was very How interesting. About that? Enjoyed talking with you, Matt. As always, a little bit of BC, a little of the sports, all stuff I'm interested in. There's there's always more. I, I never. I never really am too worried about you know filling time because man, there's just it, there's an endless world of things to talk about. You know, people always go, oh, oh God, what are you gonna talk about? Man, I don't know. We'll figure it out when we get there. But uh, enjoyed it. Made the show two hours long. Could very easily have uh, <laughs> no no problem there at all. Well, uh, really enjoyed talking with you, and thanks so much for filling in for Lisa and doing such a good job on the BC front, because I know this is the first time she's really felt comfortable with leaving, and the first time she's really been willing and able to separate herself, so I, I, I know she really appreciates it, and, and we do too, <laughs> you know. Wait till she gets back and finds out what I've done. <laughs> uh, I, I don't... 
I don't see any uh, big. I don't see any big issues at all, other than yeah. just lingering stuff that we didn't get into. Because man, what's the point? That have that has nothing to do with any of us. You know, it's not our mm-hmm. fault. <laughs> lingering issues, uh, shall we say? All right. Well, uh, great talk with you, Matt. Thanks for calling in, Don. You still around? I'm still here. You didn't you listen inter- to all that. You didn't interject much, dear. Well, you know, once you moved into the sports area, I just didn't have a lot to add. Oh, my, no. My soul for sports died when the uh, Cavs failed to make it to the next round. So, and they need suck, so what's their sense? Yeah, that was sad. It was sad about the Cavs. I, I think probably uh, at the time, of course, I thought that they simply weren't living up to their capabilities. But I think actually they probably did, you know. They probably weren't as good a team as Orlando, and Orlando probably was not as good a team as the Lakers. You know, I'll be honest. I thought I was coming in and we were going to talk about Cleveland sports because I know that's what – and that would also enable Dawn to, to jump in, if nothing else, to say, oh, well, they, they suck. But, um, yeah, they, all, all the teams really. There's, there's nothing good being said about any of the teams from, from the Cavaliers, which – are trying there, you know, everyone's pointing fingers in the front office and who did what wrong. You had the Indians who gave up 14 runs on uh, Monday, even though they had 12 of their own. And then you had the Browns where Dante Stallworth, their wide receiver, gets sentenced to, uh, well, a meager 30 days in jail for a DUI manslaughter. So there's no, no good news anywhere on any of the teams in Cleveland. Well, I'll tell you one thing, though. At least we're not Detroit. Yeah. So true. You mean you mean the, the the team that actually you know got to a championship game seven? No, no, we're the not city. Detroit. Oh, you're not the city of Detroit. No. See, Cleveland. We the only way we can feel good about ourselves is if we could point to another city that sucks far worse than we do, and that'd be Detroit. And, I mean, and Detroit. Detroit can say, well, at least we're not Tehran. That's true. Good point. Good point. No, all of that stems from. Have you seen the uh, the Matt? Have you seen the promotional videos for Cleveland that became super popular? The the uh, Mike whatever, Pope. What, what are they called? Poorly thought out or quickly uh, hastily made tourism video. Yeah. You know, I have seen those. Yes. And so, in, in one of in one of them, I think that it ends by saying, "Hey, at least we're not Detroit." My kids love that. They think that's the funniest thing they've ever seen. So whenever we're feeling down, we go, hey, at least we're not Detroit. <laughs> well, Detroit exists solely to make us feel better. And you, Don, you yeah. were right about the rain. It's hitting again now hard. Oh, good. Well, We were deciding, did we send our sweet little nine-year-old Lily to play her softball game, which started at 6 o'clock, even though it was raining all day today? Oh, no. They didn't call it off. They didn't call it off because it stopped raining around, I don't know what, three-ish maybe or something. So it didn't rain for a few hours. Uh, the game started at six, and here, and, and these games last a long, we're talking like three-hour games. I am not oh, exaggerating. Wait, she's, she's nine, and she's, it takes three yeah, hours? Three, uh, they play full six innings. Girl don't, don't they have, girl don't they have labor, aren't there labor laws against Girl it? pitching. Girl so, Pitching. You can it's imagine. Pitching. Girl pitching. You know, 
got we got a lot of base runners. We got a lot of base on balls. Long innings, lots of long. Anyway, it's kind of like, it's kind of like watching the Indians bullpen. It kind of is. Uh, exactly. Yeah, this has really, really been a disappointing year. I mean, I'm sad about the Cavs, but hey, they're a great team. They yeah. got pretty far, you know. They'll be back. Uh, the Indians, man, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I I, I could see them just starting all over again, yet again, you know. Again. It's very depressing. Because uh, they've just, you know, there was a lot of expectation about this year. Yes, they've had injuries. Yes, they've had, you know, Murphy's Law strike over and over again. But still, you know, they're still much worse than they should be. And it's 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 really depressing. It just, man, they, you know, we had the one... The one flash two years ago, I suppose you could count the second half of last year where they, you know, finally beat their way back to 500 by the end of the year uh, as as counting for something. But, you know, I mean, that's why there was expectation going into this year because they did well in the second half mm-hmm. last year. And, well, uh, as, as the silver lining, that division stinks. I mean, yeah, they're yeah, only six and a half out, I think. My tigers, are, my tigers are in first, but they're, I believe, either four or three games over 500. Which is yeah. horrible. If you put that in the AL East, they're last. Well, put it so in the if, put it in the NL West. Put where in the, the NL Dodgers West and are running away with it without Manny. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but see, I'm I am a secondary Dodger fan, being still having lived half my life in LA, so I'm allowed to be a Dodger and Laker fan. Yes, we did root uh, on the Lakers. Well, the, I, Eric, my my NL fallback team is the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, who are also in the NL West. And their their hitting is so atrocious. Actually, I think Eric, they're going to bring up your daughter to hit cleanup. <laughs> they so, may. <laughs> um, but, that, that'd, but be, yeah, that'd be a bold stroke, I'll tell you. Anyway, we made the right decision in not sending her to the game because she had a birthday party at seven, and Don was concerned that really neither of us were going to be there. That if it started raining, there you know the, she'd be stranded. Uh, or have to get a ride, and you know it just would have been really complicated. So I'm not terribly sad that it is now pouring. Actually, at a little after seven. And y- you were asking me something, Don. Oh, I was going to just remind you to bring tables, dear. Oh yeah. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. Garage sale. Okay. We'll certainly be Bye, in touch Matt. tomorrow. <laughs> Bye, Don. Okay. Bye. Farewell. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.